What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Cervantes Podcast. Joining me today to discuss gun violence in the United States, school shootings, numerous black male music artists being killed over the years, the recent gun reform bill getting passed, and the NRA is United States Marine Corps veteran, financial economics major at Columbia University, and firearms instructor and advocate Percy Gonzalez. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Cervantes? I'm good. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you for the uh, warm welcome. Awesome. So the first question I had for you, Percy, like I mentioned previously, is a firearms instructor and has his own company, Peace Through Peace, uh, Gonzalez Co., based in, in the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving clients in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland, where he provides firearm training such as concealed carry, rifle, and purchase consulting. He av advocates for organizations like the National African American Gun Association and Black Guns Matter. Why was it important for you to become a firearm instructor and advocate? Uh, I think there was a lot of things going on at the time. Uh, when I got out of the military or active duty in two thousand twenty, uh, uh, COVID was going on. George Floyd, the aftermath of everything going on was happening. And then sometimes I would just like want to go to the range to just to like shoot for fun. And then I realized that anytime I wanted to go to the range, I had to drive out to Pennsylvania. Uh, New York City has really strict gun laws, and just like reading into those things and starting to understand like the legal system and how uh a lot of gun rights or gun control is really focused on uh the inner cities and really on minorities the way uh it works and realizing the history of that um and then the prior year one of my friends had got into an incident he was a legal owning firearm holder unfortunately he crossed the border into a state where he wasn't even though he had his concealed carry license like things didn't work out his way and just like starting to see the uh trying starting to see like the network of the issues that uh it can create also seeing like the different groups like nfac uh that was supporting the protests uh surrounding george floyd and like those black men dressed up trying to protect the protesters armed up suited up it was just like a lot of different factors and the more i read into it the more like my perspective really started to change on that issue right and you studied this stuff when you were in um the marine corps right Oh, uh, what specifically? Like firearm training and like the history of guns? No, not really. So the Marine Corps kind of gives you like your basic like firearms training, uh, especially when you're not in a combat specific role, which I was not. Uh, so like we would have to shoot yearly. Um, That was about it. But even for like a lot of military veterans that just shoot their annual qualifications, that does not doesn't make you a good firearm shooter. It doesn't make you qualify to teach. And oftentimes like that's the... That's a thought that goes around. So, like, I didn't really become good at shooting, and I, I'm still not a great shooter. Uh, until I became a civilian, I really started going to the range. I started shooting with other uh civilians that are great instructors, and you start to realize, like, even like the military, there's some bad habits that that teaches. Like, there's so much like sport into it, and just like a lot of like positive and community building aspects that there actually are in the firearm uh community, even though like. A lot of the times we see like a negative aspect to it and don't get me wrong like those those sides do exist but there i've been exposed to like a lot more positivity i think that's why i have a strong position on firearms advocacy that's interesting i didn't know that i didn't know that part according to the gun violence archive a nonprofit organization that tracks gun violence incidents across the country in 2022 there were 44,250 deaths caused by gun violence 640 of those deaths were due to mass shootings the Gun Violence Archive defines a mass shooting as one in which at least four people are shot, excluding the shooter. 
The Second Amendment to the United States Constitution states that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of, of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, essentially protecting the right to keep and bear arms, arms meaning guns. Additionally, we have lost a number of young black male music artists in recent years, such as Takeoff from the Migos, PMB Rock, Pop Smoke, and the list unfortunately goes on and on. What are your thoughts on the rise in mass shootings in this country? That's a very loaded question. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot to dissect there. Um, one of the big things, like when we talk about uh, things revolving guns, gun culture, firearms, mass shootings, is that like there's there's a lot of terms that we use, and a lot of these terms aren't always uh, consistent in how they're reported or how the stats might uh, put it together. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to cover was like mass shootings, right? Uh, so obviously GVA, they have their, this archive and they, they do a really good job at like tracking all of these incidents. And then they use the term mass shooting, but even their own definition has changed a bit. When I first started using uh, GVA to actually like try to show people that a lot of these mass shootings aren't always what we would think of as an active shooter uh, situation. Um, and then that, that, that's a different F, uh, definition that the FBI uses. Um, so an active shooter situation is when there's an assailant and he's that person is actively trying to kill multiple people. Um, so the reason why I think that this, it's important to distinguish that is like, let's say uh, you have gang violence, right? And someone gets in a shootout and now there's someone that may catch a straight bullet um, or they get in a shootout and other people run away. If there's only one person that is a casualty of that gunshot wound and other people run away and let's say they get tripped or they fall or they sustain other injuries that aren't firearm related, now you have additional casualties, and that can be three, four people that got injured, but only one person got shot um, versus the active shooter uh, a scenario that the FBI uses where it's, they're actively trying to kill someone. And that, that also helps us focusing on that mindset of there's one person just trying to kill, uh, trying to kill people indiscriminately, or maybe it's targeted hate crime versus a mass shooting, uh, that it can be a lot of things. It can be a drive-by. It can be can be situations where they weren't intent to be a mass shooting, but just the circumstances around it can make it seem like it's a mass shooting. Okay. And so there's, so it's important to uh, make that distinction between the mass mm -hmm. shootings. And uh, um, so I actually had a, a stat about that too. Um, where'd it go? So one of the things that was interesting about that is yes, uh, like mass shooters and active shooting uh, situations are going up. But while a lot of these different websites or even reporting uh, sites might list like mass shootings up to like 200 or whatever that number might be, the FBI actually had it at 61. Uh, 61 compared to like the 300 is just like there's a lot. You can see that there's a lot of uh, different situations and scenarios that are being thrown into that mix. And then I don't feel like you can truly have an honest conversation surrounding the issue if you're making every issue one issue. Okay, so I think. So the number the number is being inflated due to what they consider a mass shooting versus what the FBI considers a mass shooting. Like it's the gun violence archive versus the FBI. They classify it differently. What would you yeah, say? Yeah, and it's not just yeah. No, yeah, you can continue. Yeah, it's not even just an issue with like gun archive because the FBI doesn't have a formal definition on mass shooting right now. They just use active shooter scenarios for what most people interpret as a mass shooting. Um, so because we don't have a set definition for mass shooting, like 
there's even news articles about it, like what defines a mass shooting or what defines an assault weapon. And because the government hasn't come outright and made these definitions, we kind of just like the mass media just interprets it one way. And because of that, we kind of have they have the ability to just inflate those numbers, not necessarily inflate because those are issues we want to focus on. But it gets harder to determine what those issues are if we're not looking at it from the right angle. Right. And what's what's heartbreaking is that like we see we see this occurrence happen so much what we'll see it happen in like our community we'll see it happen with like young kids college shootings Mm -hmm. hate crimes and so on and so forth what do you think it's going to take it's kind of it was kind of my last question to follow up what do you think it's going to take for these things to stop and what do you think the root of the problem is Ooh, it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) So I think just like as Americans, especially now in society, like I don't think we realize how different cultures can be. Like New York City culture is very different from Houston, right? And because we have like such these different cultures, these different lives people are having, like when we look at politics, we tend to look at it in the way that we see it. And unfortunately, that also affects the way we look at medical care and everything else to the point where... I feel like American individualism kind of just adds on to these problems rather than like focusing and trying to harness in and like fixing these issues. We're just like, well, this is how things work. And it's just like, no, this is how things work in like your region and like your inner network. But we have to realize like everyone's dealing with different things or even though if the like we might be having like the same impacts, the reasons why they happen in different locations might be different. So actually like harnessing in at a local level or like a grassroots level, being able to fix those issues. We definitely have like a large mental health issue. And I think part of the issue is how we stigmatize mental health care, uh, even like in places that are really stressful, like the military or law enforcement, uh, typically like on employment or even security for that matter. It's just like, oh, have you ever been to a psychiatrist? Have you ever been to a therapist? And these kind of questions without... uh like the right context can like put someone away, uh, away from actually seeking like the care they might need. And again, those are the fields that com- are exposed to firearms and probably commit suicide at the highest rate. Not probably, like they do. Um, and most of the times that's with firearms. So I think there needs to be a more honest conversation about these issues, realizing uh, mental health is a huge factor. There's actually like a few uh, nonprofit organizations working on that right now too. Okay. Yeah, no, that's important because I think um, especially for a lot of these mass shooters are men. And I think we see that men don't talk about our mental. We don't talk about our mental health. It's kind of frowned mm. upon some people, you know, just man up, grow up. It's not that serious. So I think if there if there was an emphasis on the way in which if there's an emphasis on mental health and the way in which we talk about it amongst men and just society as a whole, I think that could play a role for sure. Uh, some yeah. argue that graphic video games like Call of Duty and violent rap lyrics are the reason for gun violence. Do you agree? Uh, in a way, yes, and in a way, no. So I think American culture has always been like pretty violent. If we look at like action movies or like horror movies, like that has always been exposed to us. Like that hasn't changed. And again, like you said, the rate of these active shooter situations um or incidents rather they are they're going up and i don't think the catalysts is or we're gonna say those things are the factors like 
that exposure rate hasn't changed. Like our culture is pretty much the same. Like we had gangster rap in the eighties. We had gangster rap in the nineties. We have like Chicago rap and Southern ATL rap. And we have that now. Um, I do think it does play a factor though. I think, especially within our communities, like we, we glorify that, that violence. And for the people that like live that lifestyle, it might help desensitize them to those situations. Um, and probably like sear them away from like the, the ethics and like the things we want to have as a good society. To say that like that alone or that plays a large contributing factor, I don't think I'm ready to say that yet. And I'm also like a victim of listening to like that music, but I've never, I was always able to detach myself from those lyrics. Like J. Cole is my favorite, my favorite artist, but I'll still listen to like G Herbo or like King Vaughn. And I think you just have to, to know the difference. Right, exactly. I, yeah, I'm the same way. I listen to drill music. I listen to various forms of hip hop music. And that never made me want to go and hurt someone just because the person mm. is talking about hurting someone in the music. And that's another conversation in itself, like uh, talking the content of the music and like what you should and should not include in your song. Um, yeah. But I think, but I think, yeah, I, I think, I don't think the correlation is high between violent lyrics to what's going on in our community. And people like to argue black on black crime. I don't like the argument because there's crime everywhere. Um, no, regardless of color. So I, don't I like hate that argument. term. <laughs> <laughs> I not really fair. hate that term. It's not yeah. fair. Um, so that's um, a good point. Yeah, I really hate that term. Because anytime you look at violent crime, it's always going to be... Violent crime usually happens to people within the same community. So white on white crime is a thing if we really want to like say these terms. Like Asian on Asian crime is a thing. And the rates in which those happen aren't that much higher or much lower than the rate it happens in the black community. The thing is, uh, a lot of violence is centered in inner cities, and that's where our population is highest at. Um, it was another thing that was like kind of interesting when I was like first starting to do my research is, uh, a while ago, back when I we, I first went to college, I did a study on like Philadelphia, and we were reading about like crime as uh the years went on, and back in like the early uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, like Philadelphia was made like Italian and these different European uh, ethnicities. And the crime rate pretty much stayed the same between the demographics of that city changing from like European to black. And it's just like, it was never the people, it was the city, like it's the city's culture that created this violence. And that also helped me like, kind of start thinking more critically about these issues. Right. And and what's frustrating is that when it's whenever there's a crime and it's covered in the media and it's done by the perpetrator is a person of color, they use that person of color stereotype to like to like um sensationalize the, the crime. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's a white person, we talk about mental health. And I think that's very, we would talk about the person's mental health. And I think that's very, it's not fair because when a black person does it, he's a thug. When a Muslim person does it, he's a terrorist. They need to go back to their country if it's a Latino person. But then when it's a white person, oh, he was depressed or he was bullied in school. And I don't think that's a good mm-hmm. argument because there's people who are depressed, who have anxiety, who have bipolar depression, whatever it is, who don't commit crimes, who, who are often the victims of crimes. So I think that, I think that there's a race element too. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is like when when black people die as a result of police brutality, it's like, oh, I, I feel like sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot of hope because I know like the, the criminal justice system is not gonna do anything and 
it's it's going to be another hashtag. But then when a white person kills a bunch of people, it's like nothing's it's like nothing nothing is still done. So I'm like, wow, you didn't mm-hmm. care about Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, but then you don't even care about all those little white kids that died in Sandy Hook. Like, wow, like your own people are being killed and you still don't care. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was kind of alarming to me. Yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of that is like media, like when you really start to look at it, you see, you start to see like the hypocrisy and like the trends in those issues. And I feel like that becomes more of like a political conversation uh, that I'm not like too informed of to talk about, but I definitely see those trends. And like, I definitely started like calling BS on a lot of the things I say, and that's with like right wing and left wing media. Cause it's crazy how a lot of the times they're doing the same thing and no one notices that. Oh, by the way in which they cover the topics, uh, both yeah. medias? Okay. In what way would you say? Um, Especially when it comes to, like, mass shooting incidents. Uh, uh, When it comes to something covering a black person with violence, like, you'll see even, like, left media puts black people on the spot um, in the way that they report. The lack of the use allegedly when it, the suspected person is black. Um, Anytime it's a white person like they're sure to put allegedly there mm, okay yeah that's a good that's a good point like we we assume that if if the perpetrator is black he probably did it but if the perpetrator mm. is white mm, you know there's still reasonable doubt that's a good point that or even just like giving them giving them the benefit of the doubt or not wanting to 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 skew that person's public image right especially if the person is um famous of ha- or has some type of nor- notoriety that's mm-hmm. a good point that's a good point going back to the second amendment ratified in 1791 was proposed by president james madison to allow the creation of civilian forces that can counteract a tyrann- tyrannical federal government last time i checked we are currently not in a war with the united states government uh so that being said do you think it is a necessary do you think it is necessary for the average person or civilian to have a gun particularly an assault weapon or high capacity magazine in their home yes so i think for every like mentally able and willing person like they should definitely have a firearm at home uh getting into that with the assault weapon thing ah that's a very layered layered question but with the assault weapon thing like that's another term that like doesn't have like a a standing definition uh usually it was referred to like as fully automatic weapons and then we have the NFA Act, so Americans or American civilians, they typically can't go to a gun store and buy a fully automatic weapon, which would be known as, like, an assault weapon. But, like, now, like, that that term is changing, and, like, with the way the politicians are speaking about it, it sounds like it's pretty much any semi-automatic weapon that can receive a magazine. Um, then another thing, like, a high-capacity magazine is just, like, what number are we attributing high-capacity to, um, like... If we're saying something like a Glock 19 or like most handguns, most handguns and most firearms, like the military is going to have a variant of it. So if we're saying that it's militarized, then we're essentially leaving the civilian populace with like no options of firearms they can use. If law enforcement is able to have a 17 round magazine and as a civilian and you're exercising your Second Amendment right for what the purpose of Second Amendment right is, why would you want to be stuck with a five round magazine when law enforcement has a 17 round magazine? Uh, when the military has a 17-round magazine for, like, that handgun. But like you said, like, we aren't at war with the government, and hopefully that never comes down to that. 
But I think it's important to think about it as if if we were at war and we had all these gun restrictions, then we suddenly want to arm up and have a resistance. Is the government suddenly just now going to allow us to uh, buy these firearms? And the answer we know is not going to be the case. Um, but it's also interesting seeing different like uh, natural events that have happened. Like in Hurricane Katrina, this was actually like pretty heavy, heavily documented. It's just like the sheriffs went around and they started collecting people's firearms. Like the people that got hit by the hurricane, they had their firearms for like home defense. And they were like, all right, we're going to take your firearms because we know shit is about to hit the fan. Um, but the problem with that was after the hurricane hit, after the law enforcement presence wasn't that high and they collected those firearms from the civilians, just like mob rule took over. So now you have the criminals that obviously didn't have registered firearms and then they started taking over. And that is like very heavily documented of how like the the different gangs like took control of Krachina and like messed up that recovery effort because now it was just a criminally rude area. And I think we forget about that. So for home defense and if something were to ever pop off, it's not to say, hey, uh, be on the front lines, uh, steal things from your neighbor, rob people at gunpoint. Just like, no, like you have people you want to protect. You have property you want to protect. Like it's always good to be able to protect yourself. Another thing to consider is just like how long law enforcement can take to respond in a lot of areas. It's just like, all right, if someone's trying to break into your house, you're calling 911, you don't have means of escape. You live in a one-door apartment or a one-door house. It's just like, what are you going to do with your, your wife, your kids at home, just waiting for 911 to appear when someone's trying to do you harm? Right. I think, I think that's a good argument. I think it's a good argument. I think in my head, for me, it's like, because I, I, I hate that I have my mind goes this way, but because I'm black, I'm thinking like, oh, if I have a gun and I shoot the in, intruder, the police officer is going to, the police, uh, the police are going to pull up to the scene and they're going to see a black man shot somebody and I'm going to get in mm-hmm. trouble, which may, may not happen if I explain the situation, but I think that's where my mind goes. Like, I'll get in trouble. One, two, I feel like, can there be other ways to protect yourself in terms of, a, of, of an intruder without having it to be a gun? Like, could a bat be sufficient? Could a taser be sufficient? Does it have to be a gun? Just, just because all the mass shootings going on and the, the, the wrong people having guns can there be can there be another um alternative okay uh so for like part one i i can relate to that like when i first got into like firearms i had like the same mindset like i'm like Philandro castro like he legally owned that gun and look how that went but i think there's definitely like a changing perspective on like firearm ownership in america especially like black firearm ownership uh, between like 2018 and now, like it was black people that are have been buying the firearms at the newest rate. So like, pretty much the the background checks coming in, it was like a black person that never owned a firearm before, and most of that are a lot of black women. So we say like society is dangerous, and it is dangerous. Like, uh, we have these incidents that are happening, but also we've been at the we're probably at the safest society has ever been but still we have these high rate of abductions uh human trafficking and all these other things that happen to women i think people are really waking up to the fact that you are responsible for like your own safety if you are a woman that works a late night or just lives in a 
not as populated uh town and you don't have anyone to walk you to your car the mace might help a little bit the taser if you land it correctly might help a little bit but ultimately i think like you want the most effective weapon for defending yourself because if something were to happen like you can't you can't undo those things and the same goes to uh using that firearm which is why you always want to be able to use it with like the highest amount of discernment for like human life but if it really comes down to it like it's my life especially if someone's trying to commit a crime and try to do me harm or take my life or that of a loved one it's me against them yeah that's a good mm -hmm. point uh so now now and then what order, was your your second part again oh my bad my second part i was gonna say um you you answered it i was gonna say can a taser or a bat be enough mm. but that's a good point because a bat you, you a bat or a taser you have to be close in proximity yeah. whereas a gun you can be a little bit farther so that's that's a good argument that's a good argument now, in order to purchase a gun, you have to be at least 18 years old, and there are criminal background checks in place for firearm sales and transfer transfers by licensed dealers. Do you think the age limit should be higher, and there should be psychological evaluation checks put in place as well? Uh, I don't feel like the age should be higher or the psychological checks. I do think that we should have better background checks. Uh, with these, there are a few... Uh, I did some research into a few of the school shootings, and there were situations where that person should have never ended up with a firearm. Uh, the most recent one in Uvalde, uh, he was he was of age to buy a rifle. Um, so typically how it works is if you're 18 years old, you can buy a rifle. Um, and then if you have to wait until you're 21 to purchase a handgun. Um, I'm assuming the reason the, the government does that is you can conceal a handgun. And they don't trust a uh, 18 year old to be able to conceal that handgun. A rifle, like you can't carry in a rifle without being seen with that rifle. Um, so if you're with using that rifle, you're going to the range or you're doing legal activities is what I'm guessing was assumed when that was passed. Uh, but Yavode, he had local issues, um, that should have been alerted to like law enforcement. So law enforcement, local law enforcement was already aware of the issue. But the way that the background checks work, it goes through uh, the FBI's NICS system. And without local law enforcement submitting those like legal issues to the FBI, the FBI would not know he was already having legal issues or things that might come up as a red flag. So that was not necessarily a problem with the legal purchasing process. It was a problem with like law enforcement and how they share information because he was able to pass that background check because there was no information on that background check on him. So I think that's something that should be focused on is just like how those background checks work if we're really trying to fix something that's already in place. As for the psychological background checks, I think that comes with too many problems. So if we're trying to allow people the right to do these things, especially with gun control uh, and restrictions really being placed on like minorities the most, I'm afraid that what would happen was a person would have to go to a psychiatrist. Um, psychiatrist probably already having a bias. Uh, being a government-employed person that has a bias and doesn't want to allow more people to have firearms. A lot of our people suffer with anxiety or something else. And that becomes, uh, okay, you can have what, what this person can have that. And just like we already have biases in the medical industries, I feel like those biases would apply and especially with something that is supposed to be a right, I feel like there are certain moderations we can put in place, but something like a psychological check is like too invasive and has too many 
places where it can go wrong. Like who's going to set the standard on like what, what psychological issues are okay, what's not okay. Um, who is that doctor coming from? Is it a private practice doctor, the government? Like what is that doctor's view? Uh, what is the process to appeal that? And then at what cost is that to the person applying and having to go through this process? That's time. If there's someone that works like Monday to Friday, nine to five, when are they going to be able to call out for the doctor? All right. It didn't go their way. When's the second time that they can go if they have to appeal the process? Now you're starting to infringe on people's rights. Um, and especially when we look at cases where we've seen women in domestic violence cases, and especially in like states like New Jersey, when they go apply for their handgun, pro uh, their handgun permit, and the process takes like 60 days, and while the police is waiting on their, is just, they have their package, they're just sitting on it because they want the package process to take an entire 60 days, that person dies of domestic violence because they never had the opportunity to protect themselves. And we know that in a lot of these domestic violence situations, it's hard for the the victim to get out of those situations. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I was going to say, I was going to push back and say that I think if a, like a lot of these uh, shooters, these mass shooters come out and they have mental health issues and a part of me sometimes feels like it's, it's an excuse as uh, why they committed the crime. Um, but another part of me is like, okay, if they do have these mental health issues, why would they allow a gun in the first place? And sometimes I get into like heated discussions with friends at school, like, oh, but I I have such and such and I have a gun, so you want to take away my gun? And I'm like, mm, I don't I don't really know how to respond to that. But I think I don't know. I think that if you have I think if you have like a, a severe case of something pertaining to mental illness, I don't know if it's smart for you to have a gun. But then at the same See, time, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But then at the same time, I feel bad for saying that because I'm sure I'm sure there's gun owners who have mental illness and they're responsible. So it, I'm kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a very fine line to like go with. But if we're talking about like real severe cases like a schizophrenic and in a lot of those situations, that person doesn't even have consent for their their own being and they need a guardian then like, yeah, it makes sense because that person can't even know, they can't tend to themselves, like they need a mental guardian. But for these other issues where we have well-adapted adults and they don't mean themselves any harm or anyone else any harm, like how do you know what that line is? Right, exactly. Okay. So 51 gun safety laws were enacted in 13 states last year. Recently, President Biden signed into law the first major gun safety legislation passed by Congress in nearly 30 years. The law strengthens background checks and adds funding for red flag laws. 15 Republicans actually supported the bill, including minority leader Mitch McConnell. Activists have changed their approach to the words being used saying gun safety rather than gun control. Do you think that change has made a difference? I think the red flag law uh, can have some positive effects. Um, I think the, the term with using the gun safety versus gun control, it's I think there's a lot of semantics when it when it comes to like uh this with like things with like the assault rifle versus the AR-15 and like these terms and I think we started uh they started using gun safety in order to make it like more enticing uh things like common sense gun control is just like okay you don't agree like this this should be what you agree with it's like common sense um and I think those terms are like 
a psychological like use to like make you agree and i don't think they're always uh agreeable i think it's like too early to see the effect of what those what uh what is the act called the the bipartisan gun control bill yes yes yeah so i think it's too early to see the results on that i think it might make a difference um but i think to like really know we would have to like compare the the stats of like what happens with a lot of domestic violence situations and I can't say the numbers, but when I looked at a lot of the shootings, most of the shootings that go on, um, if my memory serves me correct, like about 50% or more are suicides. And then like a large percent of the other like 40 something percent is gang violence. Uh, about five or 6% is mass shooting and about three or 4% are domestic violence situations, something around that, just ballparking it. So we would have to see like how many of those domestic violence situations, uh, like those laws would prevent from having a firearm. And then another thing that happens uh, with law, I've like heard this from other like law enforcement people is just like, sometimes you might have a a bitter ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife, and then they'll make calls to law enforcement about what you're doing with a firearm just because they know you have a firearm. And that night, that might not be the case at all. And how you might get a call from law enforcement and, or you, you might call 911 and it was just a, a traffic accident but they'll say hey this guy has a gun just to like speed up the police response because you want to get over this traffic accident so i wow. think that can also be used like very dangerously um especially with the amount of frivolous calls like law enforcement does get and we already have like this distrust for law enforcement how like they might act i think a really big thing to consider when it comes to like red flag laws is how are these how are they being carried out so uh, like law enforcement is going to get a notification that like this person shouldn't have a firearm. So now they're going to go into the house of someone that they know is armed. Law enforcement is clearly armed, say like, hey, give me your guns. I feel like that can be a recipe for disaster, especially if like, unless it's like a court order, like that person has a right to their firearm. So just like the legal, the legal context behind that is still like uncharted territory. And I also think like that can be a recipe for disaster. I'm all for taking one, like if you're a criminal, like criminal should be behind bars. Like felons shouldn't have their guns unless they did the time. And we're talking about uh, like re reinstituting uh, right. But if they are a perpetrator of domestic violence, like they should be in jail. They should not have a firearm. But it's just like, I think the most effective way of like dealing with that situation is locking up that person for domestic violence. Like I find it like weird that you have enough information to be able to take someone's rights, but you don't have enough information to put that person behind bars. Like, why not just get at the root of the problem itself? Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. The National Rifle Association, or the NRA, is an industry lobby group. In an interview with ABC News back in 2020, former NRA executive Joshua Powell said, gun owners should be horrified by what he saw working there and wrote a tell-all book detailing the corruption he witnessed within the organization. The organization filed for bankruptcy in 2021, but a judge ultimately ruled that the filing was done in bad faith and dismissed the case. CEO Wayne LaPierre has argued, to stop a bad guy with a gun, it takes a good guy with a gun. What are your thoughts on the NRA and that statement? So the NRA has has bad points for a lot of the reasons that are, like, are publicized, but also if you look at the NRA as just like as a gun lobbying organization, they're not honest. So like, 
I know we all have email. We probably like signed up to like these different nonprofit organizations and like how sometimes they can be real scummy or scammy in the way they try to get you to donate. And I think NRA does the same thing. I think with these organizations, they try to like, uh, they try to like push you into like this small, narrow way of thinking. So not only does like the NRA lose points for me on like how they've handled like issues with firearms and black people in the past, but also in just like trying to create like this culture of, uh, oh, you must vote, vote red. You have to be a Republican because even like you said, it like even Republicans vote on gun control bills and they uh, they try to paint issues a certain way. So I just think politically speaking, like. The NRA is shady, but also if we look at it as an organization, the NRA is shady. The NRA is just shady in like so many different ways. Right. Um. It's not. It's not something worth investing for. Uh. And luckily, like we're starting to see change. Where like most modern day people, like my age, regardless of like where they are in the political sp spectrum, they're like, yes, the NRA is shitty. Um. With the statement, uh, if you're gonna stop. Uh, a good a bad guy with a gun you need a good guy with a gun i would agree with that um when i was looking at the active shooter situations in the 2021 2021 uh there were four incidents that were four active shooter incidents that occurred and four of them were stopped with someone that was armed uh a lot of the active shooter situations they happen in areas where there are gun controls whether it's by the state, the city, or maybe like the specific location, uh, like uh, gun-free zones, pretty much is what I'm talking about. So like a mall. Okay. Um, if we look at the Indiana shooting that happened last year, that he was stopped by a gun Samaritan in Indiana, like he wasn't supposed to be carrying in that mall. Uh, luckily for everyone in that situation, like the state doesn't recognize uh gun bans on premises, so that he wasn't carrying illegally. It's like the business said, hey, we don't want your guns here. But until, like, someone tells you to leave, like, you are technically carrying legally. So he stopped that shooting uh, with a gun uh, back in 2020 or 2021. Let's see, what year was this? Um, there were four incidents stopped with a, a good guy with a gun, let's say. But I think it's – I think it really depends on, like, the person. Um, and someone that is armed is probably more – Someone that is armed responsibly and like they train, they are training for the point zero 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 one percent of this, the chance that something can go wrong. So when that thing does go wrong, like they're ready to act on it. There was also a shooting last year that was stopped. There was a drive-by shooting that was stopped by a black woman last year, and that happened in, I want to say it was Maryland. It was close to like uh the region, and she had just started carrying like a year ago. Uh, so she realized, like, what the world was. She was like, all right, I'm going to get a gun. And then she stopped the mass shooting herself. Um, wow. Okay. Just using the handgun. And that person had, I forget what it was, but they didn't have a handgun. I think it was like a Draco or something. Um, but she stopped that person with a handgun. Like, they were just like, I'm trying to do bad things. It was like a drive-by. It was like a children's party or like a teenager's party um, that they were just trying to commit violence to. And she, she shut that down. So I do think someone capable, especially... Someone capable is going to stop someone with bad intent, especially because a lot of these people that own firearms responsibly, they train responsibly. Like they are actively engaged in using that firearm or are part of this culture of like training, shooting competitively and trying to build up the, the firearms community in a good way versus someone that has bad intentions. They probably 
went to wherever they bought, bought that firearm illegally, and it's just like, all right, I'm ready to do bad things. Because a lot of people don't realize the difficulty of shooting a firearm and shooting the firearm efficiently and effectively. That, that's a good point. No, that's true. I, I was watching like something on the Daily Show where the correspondent was talking about what we we're talking about, like gun control. Mm-hmm. And he went to um he went to a firing range and he was like, oh, like I shot a couple bullets at the the fake thing. Um, I'm mm-hmm. good now. Right. Um, Trying to make like a joke, a light about people thinking like, oh, I went to one one class and I think I have it all. And the instructor was like, no, it's it takes like time. It takes yeah. years, uh, not just like a day or two. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's a good it's point. a continuous process. That's a good and point. it's funny you say that because like uh there's a good maryland is very there's a lot of black affluence in maryland which is why like i love this area there's a lot of black affluence in like the region with like dc maryland um and like northern virginia so i remember like the first time i a lot of the ranges i've been to like ironically i've mainly seen black people there <laughs> but one of the things i realized uh yeah so one of the things I realized that, like, when it ranges here is just, like, when I really, like, got really familiarized with shooting and got, like, on the better side of the spectrum, and I would go to the range, like, I felt unsafe as an, a very experienced shooter because it's just, like, yo, bro, you're holding that gun with a bad grip. If you just keep shooting fast the way you're doing it, like, that might that gun might fall out your hand. Or you're sh- you're trying really hard to shoot fast, but you're not even, like, hitting center mass on the target. So, like, even with, like, people just, like, that are starting to get into firearms, I think a really big thing to, like, advocate for is, like, training. And I try to do that a lot with, like, the people I talk to and, like, the people that come through the course is just, like, hey, this is just a course you need to, like, get your license, but this should be a continuous journey for you. Like, as a responsible firearm owner, if something ever were to happen, like, you don't have police immunity, you're responsible for every round that comes out of that firearm. So you have to be equipped to use it appropriately. Right, because uh, if not, we see what happens when you don't use firearms appropriately, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, how do you think we can put an end to gun violence in America? <laughs> kind of a loaded question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we really need to focus on our issues. I think the, the gun violence is like a byproduct of it. Um, and then also the way that we scope our issues around gun violence. I think that we could make a lot more progress on gun violence if we had more honest discussions about it. I think a lot of people, like, they engage in these conversations with their their biases and their opinions. And on both sides of the aisle or both sides of the issue, like, people are very strong-headed, excuse me, on what the issues might be, to where we're not having honest discussions. Like, some people might focus on the semantics or blah, 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 blah. But it is important to like really narrow in on these like issues, uh, societally speaking, and on the gun side of things to like really try to find out like what the issues are and where are the things that uh, we can be fixed. One of the things that I uh, I saw on the Bipartisan Gun Control Act was the increased funding for grassroots uh, grassroot, uh, organizations so that they can start trying to fight gun violence like at the root with like uh, teens and inner cities. And all these things. And I think that probably does a lot more for gun control uh, and gun violence than like trying to buy back guns or these gun control measures that might be an infringement on people's rights. And most of the times really being hyper focused on like minorities. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things we can take, but I think a lot of the I think 
the way we get to those things is by like not trying to hyper focus on responsible gun owners, but actually focusing on the the doers and what was wrong with the doers prior to them going array and using those firearms. The other thing is like how they got those firearms because a lot of these gun violence stats aren't with legally bought firearms. So that illicit market of firearms and like the the black market of guns, like that needs to be like shut down. However, we go about doing that. Uh, there's the ATF that's supposed to be responsible for doing that, but how effective have they been at doing that if we have all these illicit firearms on the market? So really just optimizing these law enforcement agencies to really attack crime, not attack the citizens. And then socially uh, being better at attacking these mental health issues, uh, making it less stigmatized so that people can actually get the resources and even afford the resources with like Medicare and, and things of this. Right. And hopefully, you know, it doesn't look like things are getting better, but hopefully with, you know, what you said and having conversations like these and people doing their research, like I did my research research for this episode, but I have this conversation. I feel like I need to do more and like watch more videos and read up more on some articles. So hopefully that does help because it's definitely a problem. And we see I didn't talk about this previously, but we see this being a huge issue in this country. But then you look at mass shootings in other countries and it's like two, one, zero. Mm -hmm. Like you see certain things. Why is that, do you think? Why why is it so, such a problem here? But in other countries, it's like they've seemed to handle it. Yeah, I I think that's really why it's really important to focus on the social issues. Because oftentimes people misspeak when they say like, oh, blah, 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 country has great gun control. And if you actually look at a lot of these... uh. What's the area of the world like Switzerland, Greenland, uh, uh, Czech Republic, and a lot of these countries they have less gun control laws than like we do. Like we talk about assault weapons and like things that might be a fully automatic weapon. In these countries, like there are citizens able to own them. They have a permit process. The permit process probably takes as about as long as ours does. It's just like they have all the cool things. Like there's Americans that can't get access to because we have the National uh, Firearms Act that banned us or prohibited us from having these things, but those countries don't have those issues. And that's why I think it's really important to focus in on the social issues and what's going wrong as a society, because there are plenty of other countries that have great, uh, depends how you see the problem or the issue, but great firearm uh, liberty or like freedom to where they're not heavily restricted and they're able to access these things uh, for their rights or like, for sport and they don't have these issues or if you're on the other side of the aisle and you're just like they don't have a lot of gun control issues but they don't have all these cycles and mass shooters so like you can't blame the guns when it's clearly the people right right that's true that's true because like because there's good people who have guns and know how to operate responsibly and then there's bad people so that's a good point like let's let's get at the root of it which is the people mm -hmm. for sure for sure that's that's a good point Thank you so much, Percy, for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can everyone follow you? And do you have anything to promote? Uh, so there's my website, gonzalez.co. It's spelled, it's play on words. So it's gun, G-U-N, then Zalez, E-A-L-E-Z. Um, that's gonzalez.co. Uh, so going forward in February, I'm going to be revamping my website and then my Instagram as well, gonzalez.co. And then that's kind of just like my personal journey as a shooter, where I post like my like firearms related stuff, maybe like the laws that are going on. I try to keep a very apolitical 
uh, sense to it, just like focusing on different ways, like legislation might affect uh, people, not really getting political about it. And then I have peace through peace, and then that's focused on like the consumers and the different training uh, provided to people. But what I really want to do this year is just like focusing on providing a lot in uh, information. Uh, so I'll be doing that starting in February. I'm just like be revamping everything. So if you just follow my Instagram, you can just like stay tuned with the progress. Awesome. So is the company the company's piece through piece, but the website is Gonzalez Co. Or is it two? Yeah. Things? So nope, same website. So Gonzalez Co. is kind of just like my personal brand, and then piece through piece is the company brand where all the training happens. That's like the LLC name, and then sometimes I'll just do business as myself, which is Gonzalez. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Um, and hopefully you got, I learned something definitely with this episode and hopefully you guys did too. Um, and I want to hear from you guys. So if you're listening to this episode right now on a podcast platform, be sure to leave a rating on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And make sure you click the notification bell up top so you're notified whenever I upload a new episode. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good one. Thanks, Ravantes.